This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Of course, the show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free products and books that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you're new to the show but you want to know where to begin or find out more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm live programs in L.A., you can go to the website. We'll email you a starter kit of all the top shows here at the Art of Charm. We'll also send you fundamentals like body language, eye contact, attraction, vocal tonality, business networking, negotiation, all that stuff we'd wished we'd learned and mastered years ago. And we have our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, as usual, Australia, US, Canada, and the UK. Theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp is where you can get details on that. Give us a call or even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with Kristen Brown, author of The Happy Hour Effect. This is a good one. We talk about stress, what causes it, how to mitigate it, how to avoid it wherever you can, and of course what happens and how to take care of yourself when you do find yourself in that mode. Productivity habits, surrounding yourself with the right people, becoming more engaged in your work, finding passion in your work, and of course knowing that stress is inevitable every day forever, but you can control what happens in the times in between. So enjoy this one with Kristen Brown. Tell us about the happy hour effect. Can you give us like the one sentence version of what you do? Sounds good. I help busy people take control of all the stress in their life so that they can be happy even when crap happens. Wow, that's a really good one sentence description. And how did you get into that? I mean, did you just, you're just really good at looking on the bright side. So you thought, why isn't everybody so awesome like me that that I should write a book about it? Uh, Sadly, it was not that amazing. I was actually widowed seven years ago. Uh, My husband, 31 years old, died of a heart attack, tall, skinny college athlete. And we had a 10-month-old baby. And I was in a super stressful corporate job. And that obviously sucked. So it put me into a tailspin for a little while. But through that, realized that, you know, I control what happens next. I can't let that take me down and define the rest of my life. So I didn't. Wow. And he just like suddenly just genetic whatever just out of nowhere yeah we were at my sister's wedding and it was the morning after we were at a hotel and he just didn't wake up oh my he had had a heart attack and a sleep no um congenital defects nothing he had just had a physical and been given a clean bill of health that is uh really scary actually it is it is really scary and you know the good thing that came out of that is a lot of my male friends because you know a 31 year old guy in good health doesn't get recommended by his doctor to go to get a stress test or, you know, a cardiology workup. But a bunch of my male friends did after that, even though they were young and healthy. And a few of them did find out that they had high cholesterol or they had, you know, things that they needed to be more concerned about. So I think it was just kind of an eye-opening thing that despite your age that you need to be aware of all aspects of your health, not just what your doctor says is important. Right. Yeah, of course. Wow, that's really terrifying. And so that was at your sister's wedding? Yeah. Yep. The morning after. 
that must have been really bizarre, like emotionally for the whole family. Like one person's getting married and this other massive tragedy happens. Yeah, I mean, they're intertwined. It sucks for her. And it sucks for me because I, you know, I was the maid of honor, but I don't like really remember, even though he hadn't obviously died that day, but it's like that kind of wiped out that whole weekend. Yeah, I've heard about that before where like a traumatic experience happens and it's like around it. It's kind of like trying to cut something out of a piece of paper. You can't just get the thing that your brain is trying to sort of smooth over. It's just like this area around it is all fuzzy and hazy. Like accidents and stuff, people are like, I don't remember what I did that morning. Or like, and maybe it has to do with brain trauma and the way your brain stores information. I don't know. But it is really fascinating how that works. And I'm sure, yes, it probably does suck for your sister, but I'm sure she's not like, Kristen, what a bitch, she ruined my wedding. I mean, she feels... No, <laughs> well, I hope she's not. No, it's been, you know, seven years. So we, we are all beyond it. And we just think, we think back on him now, just with a fond smile. Yes, of course. I mean, at this point, your level of stress is through the roof. You're like, wow, it's going to be tough raising this young baby with this corporate job. Good thing I have help. And then that, you know, suddenly was ripped out from, like, cruelly ripped out from underneath you. Yeah, and the worst part of it was, you know, obviously that was the worst part, but I loved my job at the time. I had an awesome boss, and he called me two weeks after my husband died and said, oh, by the way, you're getting a new boss. That was not an easy person to deal with. I thought my job was going to be my rock through all of it, and it ended up being just a secondary level of stress. Right, so the the point is, right, life's too short to stress about some of these dumb little things and too amazing to let big things take us down, as you say. Absolutely. We get so stuck in our own heads sometimes that we forget that we actually have the power to control what happens in between our stressful times. And it's up to us to make those times in between amazing. Someone else isn't going to do it for you. Right. And you've got to be able to manage a lot of that stress too, of course. I mean, people suffer from like health problems. They got relationship stuff. They get fired or they got job issues, you know, like your boss thing, that money issues, sex issues. There's a lot of these things that that cause stress but a lot of those same things are caused by stress right especially the sex stuff yeah it's really a vicious circle and you know when you're stressed out your body kicks out so many hormones and so many chemicals and those things are good in the short term and can actually help you perform better and really be at your best and actually be better at sex and be better at hitting goals and deadlines and be better performing as an athlete but if you let that stress and those stress chemicals build up those stress chemicals actually have an opposite reaction and will start to damage your body, start to damage your performance and your athletic ability and your ability in the bedroom as well. So you really have to be really on top of the stuff in your life, all that stuff that it tends to build up and we kind of push down like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And pretty soon you snap and you blow and it's not good for you short or long term. Yeah, of course. So what is then the happy hour mindset? Well, the happy hour mindset is really about taking those mental shifts that happen. Because when you go to happy hour, some really marked mindset and physical changes happen, right? You're sitting there, you're relaxed, you're letting go of the cares of the day, you're hanging out with other human beings, hopefully that you want to be hanging out with. The thing I love about happy hour the most is really just that back of the napkin genius creativity that we have. I mean, think about those million dollar ideas we've all come up with, you know, over a cocktail, hanging out with your friends thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be my next big idea. It's really about productivity and creating this mindset at happy hour. But how can you take that same mental focus, that same productivity, passion, and relaxation, and weave it into your whole day 
And so that's really what the happy hour effect is all about, is how can you create that all day long? Awesome. Excellent. So there's obviously a, a shift in people when they manage stress better or when they avoid stress. I mean, here's a question for you. A lot of people, they say, well, how come successful people handle stress better? And then somebody else actually fired back. They don't feel stressed. They just avoid it, you know, using different strategies. I'm not sure I agree with that. I feel like everybody gets stress. Yes, you can do things to mitigate stress, but you can't really do things where like stress never enters your life because you've got systems like that's completely unrealistic. Yeah, you're totally right. If you are alive, you are experiencing stress of some sort. You know, back in the caveman days when, you know, a guy would leave his cave and he had to either kill his neighbor, the saber-toothed tiger, or he had to run away. Those were his two options to fight or flight. That's where the stress response came from. He had two things to deal with, either killing a tiger or running away and maybe some hunting and gathering, right? Today, we have no saber-toothed tigers, but yet we're constantly being stressed out by our jobs, by our relationships, by our health, by traffic, all the little things that are constantly pulling on us for our attention and our time. It's all of that stuff that builds up that causes stress in our lives, both good and bad stress. And so to say, oh, I'm not stressed, I just know how to manage it, and so I don't have any stress, they're lying, and that's an impossible thing for anyone to try to emulate and, and strive for. Don't ever, because that's going to set you up for failure. It's more about what are you doing to create happiness in your life despite the stress? And that's the happy hour effect in a nutshell. Okay. So what are some of the things that we can do slash focus on to create happiness in our lives despite stress? The thing I love having people do right away is to literally take a piece of paper and write down all of the stuff that fills up your life. And people say, oh my gosh, that's so tedious. I don't have time. This is your life, people. Are you serious about it or are you not? So take five or 10 minutes and do this exercise. Take out a piece of paper and write down all of the stuff that fills up your time. So your hobbies, your activities, your meetings, your work, the stuff that kind of has been sort of a damper in your past. Maybe you've got challenges, health issues, debt, relationship problems, addictions. And then also write down all of the dreams that you have, the big goals that you have for your future. And get all of that out on paper because that becomes a way for you to say, okay, now I know everything that I'm juggling so that I can prioritize and make decisions more effectively. So that's step one of creating peace and happiness. Once you have done that, you can start to identify the areas where you have stress and the areas that cause you happiness. So I have an exercise that actually can walk you through this. And in a nutshell, what you do once you have all of this stuff laid out is you X out your top three to five stressors, the things that cause you the most anxiety, that cause you to just spin at night, the things that just cause you to tense up and and feel stress. And then you circle the three to five things that bring you the most happiness, that energize you, that make you want to get out of bed in the morning and be a better person and do great things in the world. Once you've identified those, then you have an instant way for you to know where to focus your energy and your time. All that stuff in the middle is just filler. You can start to eliminate some of that stuff. You can start to reduce the areas where you have the most stress and you can start to spend more time on the things that make you happy. Because when you're happy, remember those yucky stress chemicals I talked about earlier? When you're happy, you release awesome chemicals, things that make you smile and happy and boost your energy, boost your endorphin levels. And that is the world's most natural antidepressant. And if you don't want that, then something's wrong. Wow. So what do we focus on? I mean, you give a couple of elements in your book as well, like people, 
passions, et cetera. Actually, they all start with P according to the list. So I'll let you dive into those because I think they're really important and they touch on things that we've talked about a lot on the show as well, at least a handful of these. There are five elements to the happy hour effect mindset. And so the first one, and this also ties directly to all the stuff you just wrote down in the life map that you can download from the show notes page. But the first one is people surrounding yourself with the right people who will lift you higher. They're not going to drag you down. There's a great quote that I just love that you become like the five people you spend your most time with. So choose wisely, right? If you're hanging out with soul-sucking people that make you feel like crap about yourself, you're going to feel like crap all the time. So you need to find those people that are going to lift you up. The second is presence. How are you engaging with your own life? Because we move fast, right? We're thinking about what's next. I'm sure while you've been listening to this podcast, you've been thinking, well, what do I have to do after the podcast? What do I have to do after work? What do I have to do this weekend? Which is fine. We need to be forward thinking. But at the same time, how are we engaging with our present moment so that our appearance, our behaviors, our attitude, our mood are actually helping us where we're at? You know, are you being a jerk in the workplace and nobody wants to hang out with you so you're not going to get that promotion and make more money? Are you being positive and happy and helping other people develop and you're going to get that leadership role and you're going to grow in your career? You know, what are the actions and behaviors and even how you look that you're putting out into the world? And that's really your presence. The third thing is passion. And, you know, a lot of us really get into kind of a routine, right? Uh, Get up, go to work, go to the gym, come home, go out with friends. If you have a family or kids, maybe you're hanging out with them, doing something with your significant other. We get into routines, which is good. Routine helps us stay low stress because we know what to expect. But if we don't make time for those things that stretch us sometimes, that energize us, that fire us up, that make us happy, our passions... We're going to get really, really negative after a while because life's going to start to feel boring. So you need to build in passion, which is number three. Number four is productivity. And what productivity, you know, people think that's such a work term, but it actually directly ties to your personal life as well, because it's really all about how do you make progress on the right goals for the right reasons so that you make some sort of impact on your life and the lives of others. And it's measurable. It's not just something like, oh, I want to help the world or I want to make more money or I want to be healthy, but that you're actually seeing the results and the progress happening. And then there's peace, knowing that stress is inevitable right? I already said that it's happening every day if you're alive, but you control the times in between. So how do you take all of the stuff you just wrote down? And how do you create the right system, the right processes, the right even routines within that to make you feel most in control, even when life gets hard? So those are the kind of the five elements that drive happy hour effect that can help you with all of the stuff you wrote down on your life map or on your piece of paper to help you juggle and determine where you need to focus your time and energy. Now, back to the show. Yeah, so obviously this show focuses a lot on surrounding yourself with the right people. You only go as high as your five closest friends. That's something we say like probably too often on the show. Uh, and But what about presence, being fully engaged in your work, you know, proactive versus reactive? Let's Let's get into that a little bit more because I think a lot of folks are like, I'm, you know, I'm present, I'm paying attention, I'm focused on my work. There's a difference between being focused on something and engaged in something, especially when you're talking about relationships and things like that. Yeah, I think a lot of us, because we are moving so fast and there's so many pressures on us all the time, good and bad pressures, we often kind of forget that just that simple act of, the people within three feet of you and how you're impacting that space 
has such a huge impact on your personal success. So what I mean by that is, you know, really looking at your personal brand, your personal presence, and the things you're doing. So that might be as simple as, you know, when you walk into the office in the morning, what look do you have on your face? Are you the guy that people want to come and hang out with and talk to? Or are you the one who's like, they're like, ooh, don't go by John today. He's in a mood. So it's just really engaging with your moment and saying, you know, is what I'm doing right now actually helping me move forward in my life with my goals, whether it's a short term or long term thing with my relationships? You know, am I am I being that person that people want to hang out with and really think about the people you want to hang out with? If someone's sucking your energy and makes you feel like crap every time you're with them, you don't want to hang out with them and you don't want to be that person either. Oh, that's a good point, right? Every Nobody wants to be around people who make them feel bad or make them feel like they have to walk on eggshells. Yes. And there are a lot of leaders in the work world that make us feel like that, right? As humans, you know, we don't like having someone telling us what to do. We don't naturally don't like authority. But there are also those people that just generally, like we're almost terrified to walk by their office or we don't want to run into them over lunch. And you don't want to be that person. So think about what kinds of actions and behaviors you're putting out there that might be causing that. Because we've all been there occasionally, but some of us do it more often than others. Yeah, that's definitely true. What about being proactive versus reactive? What does that mean in terms of presence? Well, when you're proactive, you're actually making a conscious choice to do something right now for a certain reason. I'm going to go to the gym right now because I want to keep myself healthy for my future wife. You're consciously choosing that. Whereas if you're being reactive, life's going fast. You've got a meeting, you've got something else, you've got something else. And someone says, hey, want to go to happy hour at five cent wings and $2 beers? Oh yeah, that sounds way more fun. Let's do that. I'm not going to the gym. So you're living more reactively and just kind of going with, with what's pleasurable as opposed to consciously choosing what's going to make you happiest short and long term. So how do we become more proactive then? Just making sure we live by the calendar is actually the way that I do that, right? I, I don't go, oh, I'd rather do that than this thing. I mean, that does happen sometimes, you know, like, hey, I'd rather go out to eat than take this phone call with somebody who's rescheduled on me 14 times. So I'll do something like that, but very rarely. Usually my calendar is like the religious scheduler where it's like, this is on my calendar, this is happening. This is not on my calendar, it's probably not happening. And I mean even things like relax, you know, or check your email. That's on my calendar. Yeah, I think calendars are so underused and misunderstood. People use them for meetings or they use them for, you know, I have to go to my kid's sports practice or I have to go to my softball league or I'm going golfing, but they don't use it to manage the rest of their life because there's more than just to-dos that need to happen for us to be happy and low stress and successful. And that is exactly what you said, relaxation, you know, scheduling that massage, going and getting some, whatever kind of body work you need done. You know, we need to be on top of our me time. We need to have that time for ourselves, our time, time with our friends, time with our loved ones. And it should all go on your calendar, not just fit everything in when there's free time outside of meetings and to-dos. Once you start getting busy, there's no such thing as free time. Uh, because if you don't start planning things like go to the gym or eat, you can't do it. That's when you start realizing like, huh, I haven't had a lunch hour in a month and I haven't had dinner before 9 p.m. in a month. This isn't good. And also, of course, if you go to the gym when you have free time, you can't scale this, right? And I don't, I don't want to turn this into a productivity conversation, but I think it does 
makes sense at least to touch on this because I think some people get stressed out maximally, maximally because they can't be as productive as they want or they're letting it get away from them. If you're going to the gym, quote unquote, during your free time, and then someone's like, hey, do you have time to talk at seven? You're like, sure, because there's nothing on your calendar. And then that person calls you at 7.30 because they're running late. And then before you know it, you can't go to the gym unless you want to work out at 10, but you're tired. And then you don't go. Rinse and repeat that for a couple of weeks. You start to feel like crap. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to a coaching client this morning, and she said that every time she gets an opening on her calendar, she doesn't take advantage of it. Right away, she fills it with something else from her to-do list. Because that free time, it's not really free time. It's just another block of time, you know, and that tie. And I like that you were talking about productivity, because if you are not reaching your goals, which is directly tied to productivity, if you're not reaching your goals, that's when stress sets in. You know, think about driving to work and you get stuck in traffic and you're late for work or you have a meeting right at nine. If you're late and traffic's bad or there's a storm or someone cuts you off or there's an accident, you're being prevented from reaching your goal of getting to the office on time, and then stress sets in. But if you're not late, if traffic's smooth sailing, if you don't have any pressure to be there right on time and your boss is okay with that, then traffic, not a big deal, not impeding you from reaching your goal. So fine, I'm good. And stress doesn't set in. Same goes with big stuff in our lives. If you start to pack on extra pounds, if your relationships are suffering, if you're not getting promotions at work, those are goals that you are being prevented from reaching, and that's when stress sets in. So it's like a vicious circle, like you said earlier, like all the things that we deal with, relationships and sex and money and low motivation and all that, is driven by stress and caused by stress, and then we get more stressed when those things are happening. You know, going back to the proactive versus reactive, being proactive means that you're heading those things off before they even become an issue in your life, and really knowing your own body, your own brain, your own signals that are telling you that, hey, something's up, and knowing your stress cues is, is really a key part of that. Stress cues, what do you mean by that? Like, haven't slept for three weeks, pulling my hair out, some of it's falling out in the shower, it might be stress. Exactly, and here's some of the top stress, early, early stress warning symptoms. Stomach and intestinal issues. So if you're having any bathroom problems, could be stress. Skin breakouts, so it doesn't have to just be acne, but if you get dandruff, if you get rashes, if you get kind of hot flashes, if you get acne, of course, is, is a natural one too, or if you have eczema or psoriasis or any skin condition that's flaring up directly linked to stress. Insomnia is one. Weight gain, overeating is another. Headaches and moodiness also. Those are the earliest, earliest symptoms of stress. So if you're noticing those in yourself, and they're going to be different for everybody, when you notice those, that's when you have to start with the stress management stuff that you're going to put into place. And at that, again, that's going to be different for everyone, but we can talk about that a little bit if you want. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's jump ahead a little bit towards uh, the passion thing, though, as well, because you're talking about making time for what drives you so that you can ditch the mundane. That took me so long to learn because I was doing things, just running a small business, and I think this applies to everybody, businessmen or not. I was doing things like, I'm never going to outsource the editing of my show, hi Jason, because no one can do this as well as me, and so it's not worth it. So I started spending hours per week editing my show. You know, it's good, it seems like a worthwhile pursuit, but the problem is, I'm not the only one who could edit my show, I thought I was. And it started getting a little bit ridiculous, because it started to be like, well, you know, I should have somebody who processes 
digital product refunds. But, you know, they're really easy. I can just batch them. You know, I should have somebody that manages my calendar. No, it's really easy to schedule an appointment. It's only a handful of emails back and forth. You know, I should have somebody that, like, fill in the blank, right? I mean, there were times in the beginning of the company where we were all cleaning our HQ and cleaning the floors and getting the boot camp space ready for the next group. And after a while, we just kept doing that, even when we were making, like, multiple seven-figure revenues. And we were like, wait a minute. Why are we spending a half an hour, 45 minutes after our Monday morning meeting cleaning garbage and sweeping the floor and not even doing as good of a job as an actual cleaning service? This is so dumb. But it was like, we didn't want to spend $80 to have the place cleaned up. It just didn't make any sense. And it gets away from you. And after a while, you can go through a whole day or a whole week or a whole month and be like, I did nothing to move the ball forward. Or even what I did was all just awful. And you start to hate your own business. And I've spoken to mothers confidentially, of course, who say, like, I'm starting to hate my kids. Yeah, it's there are two traps that we fall into that drive this. One is the perfection trap, which sounds like you've been there. I have definitely been there as a business owner. And I'm a mom of an eight year old. That perfection trap makes us feel like we need to do everything because no one can do it as well as us, right? So we end up doing something that we could pay someone $10 an hour for, then we really undervalue our own expertise and our own talents and our own skills. Even if that time is being spent with your kid or with your girlfriend or with at the gym or doing something for yourself, you undervalue yourself when you get stuck in that perfection trap. The second trap that we fall into that often gets us stuck in the grind is the guilt trap. And the guilt trap is what you were talking about cleaning up the garbage. You felt guilty spending the money, even though you had plenty of it, or you feel guilty because someone's expecting you to go do something. Again, I'm a mom. And so I often get guilted into, you know, joining things at school and things like that. I've learned to say no to those things because I'm, that's not where I serve best. I'm an introvert, which people can't believe, but I'm an introvert. So I don't serve well on a committee. I'm abs- absolutely worthless because I'm not going to go sell raffle tickets. Right. So you really have to look at that guilt and, you know, is somebody else expecting you to do this? Because when you say yes to someone else, you're saying no to yourself. I think that's uh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, that is a great way to think about it. Because people don't think about it that way. They think about saying no to other people, and they don't want to make people mad. They don't want to seem like a non-team player or whatever. I can just see somebody being like, hey, do you want to help with the bake sale? And you're like, no, no, not not at all. Uh, I've been guilted. I mean, and some people really will lay it on thick. They'll make you feel terrible. They'll make you feel like you're an awful person. But you have to remember, there is nobody else looking out for you. I mean, of course, you've got family and friends that love you and support you, but nobody else is out there proactively creating your life. You create it for you. And if you're creating it based on other people's needs, you are going to just spiral, 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 spiral slowly over time and end up in a pretty negative place, finding yourself without any time for your own passions, for your own happiness and for your own goals. Yuck. Sounds, uh, sounds gross. Gross. Yeah. It's funny because we did focus on productivity and, and here it is on your list as well. Looking at things like goals and all these different ways to become more effective. It seems like you focus on this a lot with your clients as well. You actually have a, a way to set up goals, which we talk about a lot on the show as well. And I don't want to be super contradictory, but I'd love to hear your take on it because a lot of people schedule all these, these zillions of goals, five year goals and like smart goals. And there's all kinds of stuff that says that that stuff doesn't really work. But you have to have something 
to focus on to be more productive. And it seems like you've got this pretty much in check for your clients. Yeah. You know, I think with, when people set goals, A, they always set their goals way too big. And so you've got your current reality where you are. And then you've got this goal that you want to go after that's like this other alternate reality. The gap between the two of of the changes that you have to make is so huge that how do you even start to take the steps because the realities are so different from where you are and what your life will be like in the future when that goal is accomplished. So number one is small, smaller is better, smaller, shorter term. Don't get so big or so long term that things just become too huge. And once you've kind of got that mindset and you kind of let go of the ego a little bit, because of course, we all want to be millionaires with six pack abs and happy families living on the beach, right? But that can't happen overnight, usually. So the criteria I use with people is just a little acronym goals, G-O-A-L-S-S. And G stands for goals for gut checked. Now, does the goal feel right? Because when you evolve out of the embryo, your brain and your gut evolve out of the same cluster of cells. So when something doesn't feel right in your gut, something is wrong with that. And so you need to do a little bit more analysis on whatever it is that you're thinking about doing. It has to be gut checked. The second is it needs to be obtainable. Is it something that you can actually obtain with the things that you're putting into the world at the current time. And I always like to explain this one with, I think it was a far side comic. And there's a guy sitting on his couch and he's looking at the newspaper and he says, oh God, I really want to win the lottery. Please, please, please let me win the lottery. And he's reading the newspaper and the lotto numbers. And up in the sky, there's this God figure up in the clouds looking down and he's saying, go buy a ticket. So this guy is looking at the paper, wishing he could win the lottery. He has not yet bought a ticket. And God's saying, well, I can't do anything for you unless you've bought the ticket. It's not obtainable because you're not putting the actions into the world that can actually make this goal happen. Right. So that's what obtainable means. Actionable means you should be able to take an action on any goal right now, right at this moment. So if I said, okay, I want to lose 50 pounds. One choice I can make right now is, okay, I got to go downstairs and have lunch after this. I'm having a salad instead of the leftover burger in the in the fridge and making that action step now to get you closer to the goal really fast short actionable the l in goals is for life oriented a lot of us have goals that sound great and you know we just can't figure out why they're not working and it's because they're not life oriented and i'll give you an example i worked with a guy who wanted to quit smoking and he was smoking a lot two to three packs a day Ugh, that's really disgusting. It's disgusting. And he was addicted. And he was using it as a stress reliever, right? It was his crutch. And he's he's like, you need to help me. This is my goal. I want to lo- I want to quit smoking. And I so we looked at, you know, all other things, his life map and all the things going on in his life. He had some massive, massive stressors, not just inconveniences, but major stressors going on in his life. And I said, you know, dude, this is not something that's going to happen. This goal, you are not going to be able to quit smoking with all of this other stuff going on because smoking is your stress reliever. Even though many people don't realize that when you smoke, it actually boosts your stress hormones. Little fun fact on the side. So anyway, this guy, I said, this isn't going to happen for you with all the stuff. So we, instead of smoking, I would never tell someone not to quit smoking, but I told him right now, do not quit smoking. It's not life oriented. Instead, let's focus on some of this other stuff, get that in line. Then it'll be the right time to quit smoking. And sure enough, once he got that other stuff in line, the smoking naturally went away. So your goals have to be life oriented for where you're at right now. And then the last two, the two S's, supported We've talked about this, the people around you, you have to have the right people to support you. And it's not always the people you think or that you want. 
And then the final S is small steps. It ties right back to actionable. You need to be able to take really tiny, small steps because when you hit one small thing, they start to fall down like dominoes. Like when you go to clean the garage or something, it's like, oh, it's overwhelming at first, but okay, I did one shelf. All right, I feel pretty good. Now I want to do the second shelf. So small steps are really critical. So that's kind of, that's how I focus on goal setting and picking the right goals in the first place. Because sometimes that's, that's the biggest hurdle, the biggest goal to face is picking the right goal. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. Because a lot of people focus on like, all right, I need these goals and I need to write this down because science shows that it'll work. And I, I love to pick on these people. So I feel bad for the audience as I hear this over and over. But I hear from a lot of people on Facebook because I wish everyone a happy birthday and blah, blah, blah. Um, now my list is full, so I can't do much with it. But there's people where they'll say something like, what I want to do, my goal for this year, you know, I always ask people what they're going to be doing, building, is to make $20,000 a month in income or raise my income to three hundred and fifty grand. i am like, damn, this guy's got a good business going. What business are you in? And inevitably, I don't even, I'm not even surprised anymore. People are like, I'm a health coach with blah, 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 multi-level marketing. Health coach is a fancy way of saying you sell overpriced smoothies or something like that. Or like, I'm a blah, blah, blah consultant, which means like you sell Amway or something like that. And I'm like, wow, you are really crushing it. What is your income level now? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I haven't quite started yet. Or, oh, I'm only making a few hundred dollars a month right now. And I'm like, well, how much are you spending? And of course, you go down that rabbit hole. It's really gnarly. But then it's like, I know a guy or like my mentor is making 20 grand a month in passive income. And I'm like, no, that's probably not true. We don't have to go down the multi-level marketing path. But the point is the goals are so insanely ridiculous. You want to raise your income level to 350 grand a year. I'm sitting here trying to be reasonable going, wow, you're making like what, like 325 right now or 300 and you're ambitiously thinking you're going to get 350? No, you live in your parents' basement. You're making nothing and you want to amp your income to that level this year that is completely insane. Yeah, unrealistic. And and people get stuck in that. It's kind of the guilt and perfection thing and expectations. And, you know, there's so much, so many books out there about manifesting and imagine it and it shall be true, right? It's like you have to put the action in. If you're going to be successful, you can't be lazy. You can't just expect things are going to magically happen. You have to put in the work and the time and the effort and the strategy and planning, which means goal setting. And sometimes it can feel tedious, but when you can break those big goals into really small ones and you start doing them, it sure feels a lot better than sitting in your parents' basement trying to sell the next movie. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So how do we start to dive into this stuff, and especially the productivity stuff? Because I think a lot of people, when you ask them, what they're doing right now. And I've gotten this drill from some wealthy people too. They they don't even know where their time is going. Like they, they literally have no clue. Yeah. I read some interesting research that when we are focusing on one thing at a time, a hundred percent of our brain is there. When we had a second task, you'd think, okay, 50% of my brain there, 50% of my brain on the other thing. You actually lose 20% of your brain power by flipping back and forth between the two tasks because of the time it takes to recalibrate to the other task. So if you have a notebook laying open and you're working on something there and then you have something open on your computer, it takes a few minutes to go and find what you were doing on the other project. So you're flipping back and forth and you're losing lots of time, 20% of your time when you add a second task. And the more tasks you add, the more time you lose because you're losing so much time flipping back and forth. So the number one productivity tip is do one thing at a time. List out the top goals for the day, just really small, tiny goals. What do you want to get done today? Don't move on to number two on the list 
until you finish number one. As you flip back and forth between the four or five or however many are on there, you're going to actually be losing time and losing focus. So do one thing at a time. Ah, yes. I've read this many times about how multitasking is not actually real for something like, well, for everyone pretty much. But there's a handful of people, and it's a genetic thing, not a trait you developed. And no, you're not one of those people. If you're listening, you're like, yeah, I'm one of the 1% that's a true multitasker. No, you're just one of the 99% that thinks they can multitask, but is really losing a ton of cycles switching between instant messenger, which no one uses anymore, your text messages, your email and whatever task you're currently doing, and your phone, you know, the actual ringing phone, there's so many people that think like they can jump between one thing and the other, and it's completely false. When they tested it, I read this in Scientific American Mind, they've tested this, and it's like 100% almost of people think they're multitaskers, and something less than 1% are actual multitaskers, and even those people function better when they focus. Yeah, and the thing with time is, you know, people say, I wanna control my time. There's 24 hours in a day. That's not ever changing for any of us. We get 24 hours, everybody. So you can't control time. You control what you do with the time. And I can't tell you how many people I talk to, we look at kind of what they do on a day-to-day basis. You know, they're spending an hour or two watching TV or the news or movies or YouTube videos, you know, on a coffee break or whatever. They're spending, you know, time in the car. Most of us are spending 90 minutes to two hours on our phones. And we look at it and it's like, you wanted to get X goal done today, but you spent three hours effing around on technology or on TV. So you're telling me right now you don't have enough time, but when we look at this, you do have the time. You're just not choosing how to spend the time wisely. And that technology suck is such a major problem. I'm actually working with a client right now who developed this product. It's called Awesome Box, O-S-O-M, out of sight, out of mind. It's literally a really cool little box that you put down. So you put your phone, your iPad, whatever into it, your remote control, so that it's out of sight, out of mind, so that you can actually focus on the more important tasks in your life. Not saying you have to get rid of technology forever, because it's important and it's fun and it's connection, right? But if we could take back some of that 90 minutes that we're spending checking our Facebook statuses and our text messages to do something meaningful and important and useful with our time in our life, we can really reach a lot of stuff. Imagine what you could do with that much time, you know, 45 minutes a day for over the course of the week is, I don't know, what's the math? I can't do it. But it's a lot of time every week that you could get back if you just disconnected a little bit. Excellent. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I've gotten into the habit of turning my phone on do not disturb because I found that I check my phone anyway, so I don't need it calling me to attention. But I have it like on favorites only. So like if Jenny or my business partners call me, it rings. But those people don't call me to go, hey, did you see this cool meme? No, like it never happens. But texts and all that stuff, they just sit there. And then eventually I pick up the phone and go, oh yeah, this. Because I'm gonna see them anyway. I don't need it pinging me while I'm doing anything else. So I highly recommend if your phone's driving you a little nuts or you find yourself checking it like a 100 times a day like most people do, turn it on do not disturb. Take some people, put it in the right filter so that you don't miss any emergencies, which by the way, never happen anyway you'll see a whole, a nice chunk of time go by where you didn't check your text messages because you're going to eventually look at your phone anyway, even just to check the time and see, oh, I missed a bunch of texts, none of which are urgent. They're texts. Exactly. Exactly. You nailed it. So literally write down everything you're doing. I bet you when people write this stuff down, what are some of the reactions your clients have when they write this stuff down? Because I know when I did this, I was like, wow, I spent a lot of time doing just 
dumb crap that doesn't even need to get done at all. Not only is it not urgent or important, it doesn't need to get done at all. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I did a group last week where every single person in the group was crying, including three men, because they realized that their lives were being lived on someone else's terms. They found that they had so many meetings and committees and things that they were doing because other people were expecting it or asked them to, and they couldn't find it in themselves to say no. I think when you really start to write everything down and say, okay, is this something, and I use these three words, is this something that's contributing to my health, happiness, or safety? And people laugh about safety, but no, security is a human need, right? So if something doesn't contribute to your health, happiness, or safety, or the health, happiness, or safety of your loved ones, why are you doing it? That's a good question. And you really use that as your criteria when you're trying to eliminate some things from your calendar. That's a, that's a heavy bar. It is heavy. And just yesterday, I talked to a woman who I said, you know, what, what are the things that really suck you dry that really, when you even think about something going on in your life, causes you stress? And she said, oh, it's probably the volunteering that I do at the hospital in her hometown. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, you just said that you hate volunteering, but the word volunteer is right in there. <laughs> You're not being required to do this. And it doesn't make you a bad person if you don't love to volunteer at a hospital. What would you love to do? And she said, you know, I like volunteering, but I hate volunteering at the hospital. I would love to volunteer for the Humane Society. And I'm like, well, then do that. It's volunteer. So, you know, always just think about, you know, yes, do things to make other people and the world a better place, but do it on the terms where it makes you feel good, too. Otherwise, you're just really doing that group a disservice because you're not going to have your whole energy or your whole heart even there. Right. Yeah, of course. And then, of course, once you've got everything listed out, you can look at the few things at the top that just are annoying, like the volunteering thing. And you can say, wait a minute, I'm not doing this anymore. That would have a ripple effect, I would imagine, all the way down the chain. If you're no longer dreading something every single day and it's not useful to you and it's gone you just suddenly you find yourself with time you can do other things that you like or you can just chill yeah and the ripple effect people don't realize what a ripple effect some of these teeny tiny changes have i worked with a woman who she was in a pta parent teacher association committee and she hated it and i said what would you do if you didn't do this anymore she's like oh the moms wouldn't go oh, and she just had like this reaction i'm like oh my gosh and so finally i talked her into just slowly stepping back, not overnight, but just slowly transitioning out of this volunteer position. And I checked in with her a couple couple weeks later, and she said she could not believe the difference in her life. And I said, well, what have you been doing with your time? She'd been working on, she had this eBay kind of side business that she'd wanted to get started. She had a full-time job, but wanted to start this eBay side business. And I said, oh, how's it going? And she said, oh my gosh, I'm making a little extra money. And I said, great, what are you doing with it? She said, well, I've been paying off this debt and we're actually saving for our family vacation home that we've been wanting to save for for years. So you can see that ripple effect from that one dumb little meeting Massive impact, not just on her, but on her whole family. So get rid of that stuff that's dragging you down. It all will add up and, and ripple out across your entire life. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. This is great. And we got to look at it both ways, right? Like the happiness stuff ripples up as well. Focusing on the happiness stuff and getting rid of the stuff we don't like will ripple down, so to speak. Absolutely. It's all just a circle. And when you're feeling positive and happy, it naturally relieves the stress chemicals and the stress and the tension that you're feeling in your physical body, 
which then is going to naturally boost your happiness. Again, it's just all a big circle and you control the way that circle is rotating. Excellent. Thank you so much. Where can people find more from you? Of course, we'll have that all linked up in the show notes as well. Yeah, just head over to Happy Hour Effect, Effect with an E, and happyhoureffect.com, and you can link to all my social sites. I love LinkedIn, so link in with me. It's my very favorite social site, and I look forward to uh, learning more about your listeners. All right, excellent. Thank you so much. Good stuff with Kristen Brown. Yes, we know we need to surround ourselves with excellent, high-quality people. We talk about that a lot. I do like the idea of being fully engaged in your work engaged in your relationships, finding that passion, making time for what drives you so you can ditch the mundane, the boring, and go after what energizes you and fires you up, as well as productivity. Never gets old. As long as you're putting this stuff into place, you can always be more productive, which is excellent. But sometimes we hit a point where we shouldn't worry about that and should focus more on ourselves and our relationships with people that we care about. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone is a good fit, I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. Of course, if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Kristen on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes along with her resources. Our live programs or boot camps, as we call them, at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. That's where you'll find the details. And remember to subscribe to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. And of course, we have our apps available in each of those stores as well. Those are both free. And please, if you're in iTunes, give us a five-star rating. Write something nice. We'll love you forever. You can go to iTunes.com slash The Art of Charm. It'll take you there. You can just do a search like everyone else. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of The Art of Charm podcast. So go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. <laughs>